needing a shift in your life, maybe from fear to peace or addiction to freedom or sadness to happiness. Trust me, nothing else can genuinely change you like the three mind shifts I'm here to reveal. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life, and I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. And hey, whether you're here live or you're listening through the podcast, thanks for being here. And thank you to our donors and partners who keep us here. You know, while the gospel is free, the pipes and electric and technology to get it to you isn't. And trust me, I can't do this without you. So again, on behalf of the thousands who tune in every week or download my Shut Up Devil app or pick up one of my books or find one of our articles on Google, thank you. And if you've been impacted by what we do and you say, Kyle, I want to help, you may give at any time at kylewinkler.org donate. It's tax deductible. And on that page, you'll also find out about the gift you receive for your donation of any amount. Okay. Have you ever believed something for years, then suddenly realized it's different than you thought? And that single change in your thinking dramatically changed your life? It could be something tangible. Maybe you discover the truth about someone in your life. Someone you didn't realize was affecting you so much. And then the sudden truth about them caused you to take action in some sort of a way. It could be more like an epiphany about yourself. Maybe you realize that you have more potential than you ever believed, and so you began to pursue a higher education at 40 or 50 or older. Or you totally changed careers. Maybe you started to value your time and relationships over money and power. I don't know. But I do know that if you think about any big change you've made in your behaviors, your plans, your career, your life, I promise you'll find some root thought or belief that kickstarted the change. That's why I harp so much on the principle that change of life, actions, behaviors begins with a change of mind. But this isn't just my idea. It isn't pop psychology. It isn't some trendy Christian teaching. It's a main reason Jesus came. Besides dying for your sins, of course. Jesus came to change your mind about God and about you, and not just for the fun of it, but so that you would experience the abundant life that he promised, so that you would experience the freedom that he promised. You can't have either of those, abundant life or freedom, without a changed mind about God and about you. And this is a recurring theme in the New Testament starting with Jesus right from the start of his ministry. Look at this. In Matthew 4, many Bibles titled this, The Ministry of Jesus Begins. Because in Matthew's Gospel, this is the start of it. He had just come out of his temptation by Satan in the wilderness. He arrived to the Sea of Galilee. And just before he selected his first two disciples, verse 17, From then on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what was he saying there? 
shape up and get perfect because God is here and he's out to get you? Absolutely not. He's saying the opposite, actually. Repent is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind. I talk about that often. So basically what Jesus is saying here is, I am God. The kingdom of God is here. I am God. And I am here to change your mind about God. I challenge you to read the rest of the Gospels with this in mind because you'll begin to see how everything that Jesus did his healings and miracles to the types of people that he touched and forgave. Everything that Jesus did was aimed at getting people to change their mind about God. The byproduct of this then was that their lives were actually changed. The Apostle Paul said something similar in his writings. I reference these verses a lot, Romans 12, 2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's called the renewal of the mind. To the Philippians regarding how to experience peace amid hardship and difficulty and persecution and such, he said, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on things, he says, that are excellent and worthy of praise. Well, since then, people have been testifying to the power of mind change, particularly about God. And that brings salvation, right? But also to change so much more in their life, attitudes and actions. Theologian A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He's saying what you believe about God shapes everything about you from your attitudes and actions. Bad beliefs produce bad fruit. Good beliefs produce good fruit. Start up here. If you've tuned into the show for the last year, you've heard many of my stories. For years, I had bad beliefs about God, which led to bad beliefs about myself, which led to bad attitudes and actions and behaviors, all that stuff. In the last year, I brought on various guests to this show, each who testified to the same thing in their lives. So for this message, I thought I'd bring together some of what I've said and what they've said to bring you three mindset shifts that will shift your life. So I'm going to start with the one that was big for me and really the foundation of what all the other guests said too. I believed that God is mad at me and mad at others. And the truth is that God loves me, he loves you, and he loves others unconditionally. Now here's what amazes me about this. Every time I say this kind of thing, that God is not mad, but he loves, every single time, I get people who get angry over it, like downright hostile to it. I mean, I don't even know why they wouldn't at least want to believe that it's true. But, whew, people, man, I posted a short video on my social media about three reasons why God isn't mad, and some of the replies were nasty. One lady almost blew a gasket. She said, stop colonizing God. He is holy. I thought, yeah, of course he's holy, but holiness means uncommon. It doesn't mean angry. Besides, anger isn't all that uncommon. None of us have problems getting angry. What's more uncommon, I'd say, for many human beings is unconditional love. Other people said, you're not considering all of Scripture. Oh, no, I am. I'm just putting all of Scripture in light of Jesus. 
And this is part of what helped me to have this mindset change. You see, most people, and I was one of them, most people see God according to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament makes up about 75% of the Bible. It's a big chunk. So what ends up happening is that people have a view of God that's part Old Testament, part New Testament. And it's this Old Testament view of God that Jesus came to change minds about. Yes, definitely, in the Old Testament, God is portrayed in some tough ways. He required payments and punishments for their sins, and there were good reasons for this. It would be a different message for me to go into them all in depth. But one of them is that they lived at a time when sin was being charged to their accounts. The theological word is imputed. With the institution of the 613 laws of Moses for about 1,500 years, God charged people with breaking the law, and that came with penalties. And this was mostly to prove to people that nobody is good enough to please God through their own efforts. So, if not correctly honoring the Sabbath didn't get you, then lying might, or not honoring your parents, or not eating pork, or not eating shellfish, or not wearing clothing made of two different fabrics. With 613 laws, there was something in the law for everyone something to prove that self-righteousness doesn't work to please God, something to prove that they need a Savior. So we had 1,500 years or so of law. It was a period of time in human history that was meant to show humans need a Savior because we can't do it ourselves. We can't be perfect enough ourselves. So the law points to Jesus. And since Jesus came, sins are no longer imputed to our account. They were imputed to Jesus who died for them. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin took on our sins so we would be made righteous. Our sins were imputed to him, his righteousness imputed, given to us. Now, I know that's a lot of theology there, but here's the gist. Because of Jesus, God no longer charges our sins to our personal accounts. So he no longer demands our payment or punishment for them. So yes, God was angry at people at times in the Old Testament, but he isn't still angry at people today. Because as we used to sing, Jesus paid it all. There is nothing more to owe. At least that's how that second part of the hymn should go. There's another big thing about the Old Testament, and that's that people in those days only saw an incomplete, shadowy picture of God. Hebrews 10.1 puts it this way, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. Prophesying of the coming of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah said that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And interestingly, this is the exact prophecy that Matthew chose to quote right before Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the point is, before Jesus, people saw God in shadows through a veil of darkness. They didn't have the full picture of things. And the full picture of things is what Jesus came to reveal. All throughout his ministry, he 
says, if you want to know what the Father is, look at me, look at what I do, look at how I love. I'm the Father in the flesh is what Jesus is saying. And look at John 1.4. John says, so the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So if you want to get a perfect picture of the true character of God, look at Jesus, who is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Unconditional love and dependability, meaning he doesn't change. And truly, if you read through the Gospels again, from his healings and miracles to the people he touched and forgave, to the stories he told, he constantly demonstrated in one way or another that God isn't angry, he isn't mad, but he's unconditionally loving. He takes people back, prodigals back, and he throws them a party. So many stories. He accepts a Samaritan woman at the well into his family and sends her out to tell others about him. I could go on and on. Every story is meant to provide a radical shift in how people thought about God. Now, why can't people accept that God is not mad? Well, like I said, they are mixing old and new covenants and treating them as if they both have the same application today, and they don't, plain and simple. Jesus makes the difference. But the devil's involved in this too. Paul said it's one of his primary goals to keep people blinded to it. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light, people in darkness, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So why does the devil care about ensuring that people don't see God correctly as loving and good? Because if they keep believing he's mad, they'll blame everything on him and not want anything to do with him and or they'll keep depending on their own efforts to obtain peace and salvation with God, which keeps them from actually having peace and salvation. You can't depend on your efforts. Again, that's what the law was meant to show. It takes a savior. It takes you surrendering your dependency off of your flesh and onto a savior, onto Jesus. So I know it's a big thing to change a mindset from God is mad or even God is grumpy to God is nothing but love, and it might deserve its own message. But here are the basics of what you need to know. And I've said this before, but we have to hear this over and over and over again because our minds tend to forget it. Speaking of what Jesus would do, in Isaiah 57, 16, God said, I won't always be angry. Speaking of what Jesus would do, in John 1, 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is taking away God's reason to be angry. Speaking of what Jesus did, the Apostle Paul confirmed God reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting our sins against us. He took away his reason to be angry. What all of this means is that through Jesus, God dealt with the sin issue so that he isn't angry at sinners anymore. Now, he doesn't like sin, but he isn't angry at people. He isn't angry at you. He isn't angry at them. 
He's all good, all loving, and that's the gospel. And I'm telling you, that's the mindset shift that shifted my life for good, and it'll shift yours too. Now, speaking of a good God and a good life, you know what else is good? Your good. The you in Christ who is saved. You're good. Now, maybe you're thinking or you've heard, no, Kyle, I'm not good. I'm a sinner desperately wicked. Friend, if you keep that mindset, all you're going to do is deal with insecurity, guilt, shame, or worse. But you won't be living according to the truth. I'm telling you, next to God being good, you have to get this one because it is the gospel message. A lot of people think that the gospel is Jesus dying for their sins so that they can keep asking God to forgive their dirty, sinful selves. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus died once and for all for the forgiveness of sins so that upon your faith in him, you would be permanently cleansed, given a new nature, so that you'd go from sinner to made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin took on our sins so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.11, you were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified, a trinity of cleansing. All that happened, it says, by calling on the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I could go on and on and on and on. But Kyle, what about that verse that says we are wicked? Well, here again, you have to rightly divide the word between what was said before the cross and what was said because of the cross. The main verse that people use to say they are wicked is Jeremiah 17, 9. And it says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Well, you got to look at this in context. And God is speaking about people before Christ and outside of Christ. And it's true, outside of Christ, we are all identified with Adam and Adam's sin. Theologically, we call this original sin. It's why Paul said that before Christ, we are dead in sin. But again, before Christ. In the Old Testament, through the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, 26, God promised a change, a change in nature. He said, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And that's what your belief in Christ produced. It made you new with a new heart and a new spirit, a new identity, what we call an identity in Christ. And Christ's identity isn't wicked. It doesn't want to do wicked things. It's a slave to righteousness. And Paul said in Ephesians 6 that you've been made obedient from the heart. This year, I invited Dr. Andrew Farley onto the show, and this is really a theme of his ministry. And I encourage you to check out our discussion in the archive. But what this new heart, new identity, new spirit in you means is that you don't have to try to fix yourself to be better. You are already better. Your heart, your spirit is as good as it can get. It's sanctified, cleansed, justified, heaven ready. Any sin issue isn't with your spirit or your heart. It's with your mind. 
That's why the mind needs renewing. The heart doesn't. Mind does. And we renew our minds with truth. Many of the truths that we're exploring right now. Truths about who God is. Truths about who you are. What the truths about your good God and your good self are going to help you to do is to shift the belief that life is about striving for God's pleasure to life is about living from God's pleasure. Man, for years, I believed that God was some kind of taskmaster, one that was nearly impossible to please. And it definitely didn't help that I grew up in a church where every statue and stained glass image of Jesus depicted him with a scowl on his face. But again, this idea of God being a taskmaster is rooted in how he was seen before Jesus. Like I said earlier, he laid down his law, so to speak, with hundreds of laws that he knew were impossible to keep, and that was the point. He wanted them to be impossible so that they realized they can't please him out of their own efforts. They realized they needed a savior. The law is made to bring people to the end of themselves so that they see a need for Jesus. Their utter dependence and righteousness coming from him. So what pleases God then? Well, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it is part of what's called the Faith Hall of Fame. And it goes through this list of people in the Old Testament who pleased God. Every single person in the list, from Abel to Enoch to Noah to Abraham and on, it says they please God because of their faith. And the author of Hebrews says it's the same for you and me. And he spells out what that faith looks like. In verse 6, he says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Do you see? Faith that God is real and that he is good is what pleases him. And that's exactly what Jesus came to demonstrate. This year, you might remember that I had Joyce Meyer's daughter, Sandra McCollum, on the show. And this is the big revelation that changed her life. She said that she lived every day asking God, what more do I have to do to please you? More fasting, more time with you, more Bible study, more giving, more goals, more check marks on my to-do list. She said it almost caused her to walk away from the faith because besides wearing her out, she realized it wasn't producing the blessings that she believed it was supposed to produce. And you know, when you live as if God is some taskmaster, you usually think that his blessings and favor are rewards for your successful efforts. So we live like we're chasing a dangling carrot. But here's the thing for we Christians, we already have the carrot. We've placed our faith in what is most pleasing to God, which is his son, Jesus. So you need to know that God isn't holding out your blessings or healing or deliverance for you to prove or earn something more. That's a word for someone. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesians that in Christ, we've been given every spiritual blessing. He is not holding any of them back, waiting on you to earn it or prove more. Now, are there things that God will ask us to do? 
Are there plans and purposes that he has for us to fulfill? Absolutely. But his pleasure and favor aren't hinged upon them. And what's more, remember that verse I mentioned from Paul about how God makes us obedient from our new hearts? We end up fulfilling these plans and purposes a whole lot easier than we think. Listen, for many years, I was someone who was obsessed with finding and achieving my purpose. And finally, I found out that purpose just naturally happens when you lean into who you are. Lean into what you're good at, what you've been gifted at since birth, and what gifts you received with the Holy Spirit. Both are God-given, not self-made. What puts a smile on your face? What gives you energy? What is satisfying to you? Doesn't have to be world-changing. It could look like raising your children or volunteering for a local feeding program or hosting a Bible study or building a business or selling cars or homes or clothes. Teaching the Bible or teaching theater to high school students. There are an endless amount of purposes that are already built into you. Recapping this mindset shift is really a great way to recap the two before it and to wrap a bow on this entire message. They all build upon each other. Number one, God is not mad. He is good and he is love. Completely, totally, unconditionally. Number two, you are not bad. Jesus has made you good. Number three, you don't have to strive to please God or get anything from him. But your faith that Jesus is God and that he is good, that's what pleases God. So today, anything that you do, you do from God's pleasure, not for God's pleasure. That, in turn, will lead to a more pleasurable life. And all these mindset shifts really will lead to a more abundant life, a more free life, a more enjoyable life, and a godly life. Your beliefs determine everything you do. They determine everything about you. And speaking of thinking differently and seeing according to truth, I designed my Think on These Things journal to help you do that. It's a 30-day journal that focuses you on a single grace-based scripture every single day. And besides each scripture are prompts that I created to get you thinking about what the truth means about you, about God, and about your situations. This journal is designed to work with God's design for your mind to rewire it and renew it. So that, as I've been saying, as your mind has changed, your life has changed. So you can get a copy for yourself at kylewinkler.org slash journal or find out about the discount when you get copies for your family, friends, or group. It's all at kylewinkler.org slash journal. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and wherever you get social media. And don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. And I'll see you next time.